welcome to the Church in the Peak podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit churchinthepeak.org. some people here. So, um, Phil said last week um, that this week we would um, be kind of starting a new series. And um, so this morning, um, I have the task of starting you off with a new series. And this is a series that's going to take us all through this term. And it's all about Exodus. So we're going we're gonna to look at the book of Exodus this term, and we're going to go from one end right to the other. And um, I've titled it Redemption in Action, because actually um, this book is all about God's people coming out of slavery and into the promised land. Yes, they, they weave about a bit in the middle, and we'll be talking about that as we go through the term, but actually it's all about God's redemption of his people, his buying back of his people. So we're going we're gonna to look at that this term. If you haven't read Exodus recently, I want to urge you this week to just sit down with a coffee and um, open your Bible and just read Exodus all the way through, one end to the other. Just read it as the story that it was written to be. Because uh, quite often we can dip into these things, we can read a little bit, and actually then we just kind of, we forget about the big picture. And actually when we read the whole thing, you get so much more out of it. And uh, our hope is that as we go through this term, we're going to lay a foundation, which then we're going to continue to preach into uh, next year as we move beyond the book of Exodus and uh, continue the story. So this morning, we're just going to do chapters 1 to 11 of Exodus. So it's nice and short. So I'm going to start by reading you chapters 1 to 11. And before you fill with dread because you think I'll be really bored, um, I'm going to abridge it ever so slightly because I can't read the whole thing out. Um, And I just want to check before we start, do we have any slaves in the room? Only one over there. Okay. And uh, I'm not going to ask uh, who you're in slavery to, Pippa, um, but I am going to name you. So um, I'm, going to, I'm going to have a look at um, Exodus. And um, if you want to try and follow this in your Bibles, um, you're going to struggle because I'm going to skip about quite a lot. And uh, what we've got to remember is the book of Exodus um, kind of takes on from when the people of God, Israel, end up in Egypt. And uh, they get there, you'll remember the story of Joseph with his Technicolor dream coat and all of his dreams and ending up in prison and Potiphar's wife and all those stories that you remember from kind of your, your childhood. And, and there's all this story and there's Joseph and they're in Egypt and uh, the people of Israel find great favor with Pharaoh. And uh, they, they're fed and they're watered and they get jobs and everything seems to be going quite well. And then we get to the book of Exodus. So it starts off like this. Now Joseph and all of his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful and they multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. And then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. And look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, 
They will join our enemies, they will fight against us, and they will leave the country. So this was the worry of the pharaoh. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And um, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the more the people of God were oppressed, the more God was blessing them as a people. And so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked with them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. And then in the back of this, Moses is born. And you remember the story about Moses being born and uh, Pharaoh said, we're going to kill all the young boys because actually we, we don't want this people to grow anymore they're causing us problems there's too many of them let's just kill all the baby boys and so Moses is born and he gets put in the the reed um, basket and he gets put out on the river Nile and he gets found and he grows up in the palace as one of the royalty despite the fact that he is an Israelite and uh, as he grows older he's uh, he's out in the country and one day um Moses um, went to his own people and he was watching them at hard labor. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, and glancing this way and that. Seeing no one, he kills the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And then somebody sees him doing this. And so he has to flee. So Moses flees and he gets out of Egypt and uh, he's in the desert and he sees this burning bush. And he hears the voice of God. And he comes to the burning bush. And God speaks with Moses there in the desert. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God's saying, this is, this is your purpose. This is what you were born for. This is why you grew up in the royal palaces. Because I want to use you to set my people free. And uh, he says to him, I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people so that when you leave, they will not go empty handed. You will plunder the Egyptians. And Moses is like, no, this can't possibly happen. I I don't do public speaking. I, I can't possibly go before Pharaoh. Yeah, I know I grew up in the palaces, but I can't do that kind of thing. And the Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders that I have given you the power to do. And God had shown him how if he put his staff on the ground, it became a snake and put his hand in his cloak. And there were so many things that he did. And he says, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let the people go. So Moses knew the deal. Before he goes back to Egypt, he knows the deal. He knows that Pharaoh is going to be a hard man and not let the Israelites go. And that actually is going to have to fight for this. And so Moses goes back and he, he goes to Aaron, his brother. And uh, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know who the Lord is, and I will not let Israel go. And um, he then goes to the, the slave drivers, and he says, you are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they are crying out, let us go and have a sacrifice to our God in the desert. 
Make them work harder for the men so that they can keep working and pay no attention to their lies. So this is a hard man. He's, he's like, whip them harder. Force them harder. Now, I don't know if um, you were one of the Israelites and, and you were there and you were being forced to make bricks, what you'd have done. But actually, I kind of wonder, well, would I have taken my family and moved out of Egypt at that point in time? They, they weren't slaves in that they were being kept by the slave masters. You, you know, you're in this house. If you leave the house, you'll, you know, you'll be caught and you'll be dealt with ever so severely. No, they were living in their own houses. They were living amongst the people of Egypt. And uh, they could have left at that point. And I'm sure if they'd left en masse, yes, Pharaoh would have chased after them. If they'd left as their family, maybe he wouldn't have noticed for a few days, at least, no one would have noticed, and you could have got a good way away. But what was the alternative? Walking across a desert for two weeks to see if you could get somewhere away. You could have walked the other way through Egypt across to where we know uh, Libya is now. You could have walked that way, but it's desert the whole way. It wasn't necessarily a palatable thing to leave where they were because they were being fed. Yes, they were being worked very hard. They were being whipped, but they were being fed and they had houses and there was food and there was water. So it's into this kind of picture. There's these people who are conflicted about what should we do? We don't like how Pharaoh is with us, um, but actually equally fairly comfortable place in reality to the, some of the alternatives and um, so there's Moses and uh, they go they go before Pharaoh and Aaron chucks a staff down and it becomes a snake and 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 Pharaoh says look I've seen that kind of thing before I've got magicians who can do that and he brings in his magicians and sure enough they could do it too and um, and then Aaron's staff as a snake gobbles up all their snakes and um, so I don't know quite how this would have been in the palace I, I kind of figure it would have been a fairly wacky place to be and then Moses says look you're not letting the people go you say you won't let them go that you don't believe in God well he's going to come and he's going to show you who's in charge here and um, then there's a plague of blood where the, the Nile turns to blood and a plague of frogs there's a plague of gnats oh don't you hate it gnats in the, this kind of time of year and you're walking underneath the trees and you're absolutely attacked by them that must have been hideous and then there was a, a plague of flies and then there was a plague on their livestock and a plague of boils and a plague of hail and then a plague of locusts comes and eats up all the food in the fields and then there was a plague of darkness and then just to top it all there was a plague on the firstborn so Pharaoh had been killing all the firstborn all the sons and God says I'm going to deal with you ever so severely and the same thing's going to happen to you and that's where I'm going to leave the story because we're going to take that story on over the next number of weeks and so this is the kind of picture that I want to start with today and uh, so here were the people in slavery and I wonder how did they really end up in slavery what was their backstory well you know, had they made bad decisions that they ended up where they were? Were they willful? Did they move to Egypt? Yes, they did. They chose to move to Egypt. God led them there because actually they had no food 
and Egypt was a rich and prosperous place where they could be fed. Why were they in slavery? Because there was an evil Pharaoh. They'd lost their favor as the people of God because actually the powers that be changed. The government changed and suddenly they weren't favored anymore. Was that their fault? No, it wasn't. They were just there. They were enslaved, just living their life in a foreign land. And there they were, enslaved. A couple of weeks ago, Phil um, was talking about our need as the people of God to be radical and ruthless, was his words. Um, He was talking about us um, not giving in to sexual sin, pornography, and he was talking about sin. And uh, I... I kind of read about slavery and I don't just think of the big things. I think of some of the more everyday things. And I'll ask you a question. If it was Lent tomorrow, what would you give up? Facebook. Facebook. So Facebook would go. Okay. Anything else? Chocolate. Lots of people give up chocolate and sweets and cake, don't they, during Lent. And... um, What would you never consider giving up? I think if I asked our Matthew this, either his phone or the TV, they would be top of his list of things, absolute no-nos for giving up. And uh, we've talked about, well, maybe that's a good reason to do that, um, but it's still not favorable. So I just want to talk through a few things that actually um, could cause some slavery in our lives. So the first one um, is one that you'd expect me to talk about as a doctor, which is smoking. And actually, people don't um, smoke and then, and then stop and start and stop very often. Actually, it's something that's really difficult. They have one and then they want to have another one. And we can see that quite easily that could be something you could be enslaved to. And, um, and so if you're a smoker, I'm not getting at you. It's something that has a grip on people because it's addictive. Something that's even more addictive, and uh, a lot more of you in the room do, caffeine. And um, I, I used to be a very big caffeine addict, so um, I would be brewing a coffee in my room, an espresso, whilst I was consulting with a patient. I would down the espresso between patients and put it on to brew again. And I would do that three or four times in a surgery. So a couple of times a day, I would get my fix of three or four espressos. And uh, I would have other coffees during the day. And it started to have a really bad effect on my health. Um, I was quite jittery, but I got a lot of headaches. And I had to stop. And I had to break the habit that I had with caffeine. And it had me enslaved because I had to have another one. And that's the thing about things that we're enslaved to. There's the question of, what if? What if I don't have another one? How's that going to feel? And we're attracted to have just a little bit more. And they say that the root of sin is that we don't have enough. And with smoking and caffeine, there might be things that we feel like we don't have enough of them. This is really annoying. Yeah.
So hopefully this won't crackle quite so much. Um, so smoking and caffeine, we can see. The other one that I think is fairly obvious to see, um, alcohol. And um, alcohol is something that has a grip on so many people, isn't it? And uh, we can see that lots of people, you know, I'm dying for a drink. Actually, I couldn't cope with going and doing that social thing without having a drink. And it can grip people so easily. And so there's things that are addictions that we can see would be things that could enslave us. But I think there are things that enslave us that are far more part of our normal, everyday life. TV. Really difficult sometimes to switch off a TV. Our phones. Who's got a mobile phone? Who owns a mobile phone? In fact, to be easier to ask, who doesn't own a mobile phone? I think there'll be a few people in the room. And actually, phones are so part of our everyday life. We use them for so many things that actually people get anxious. Where's my keys? Where's my phone? That's the two things people think, isn't it? The keys you can see because if you can't lock the house or you can't drive the car, you're in trouble. But actually, where's my phone is the other thing that people... (gasps) There's that kind of panic feel. Checking all your pockets, where, where, you know, where, where is the phone? Where did, where did I last have it? And that's what I say to Pamela when she says, can't find my phone. Where did you last have it? So, um, and, and, and I wonder, could you do without your phone? And, and lots of us go, yeah, I couldn't do without my phone because I have to have it for work. I've got to have it for, you know, security's sake. If I got lost, if the car broke down, it'd be really dangerous not to have a phone. Fifteen years ago, none of us had a phone who we were carrying around everywhere, that we did everything with. So actually, we lived life perfectly fine without a phone. There were, it was slightly less convenient, yes, but we lived without a phone. How many of you this morning have already answered a text or um, something during the meeting? Yeah, quite a lot of us. And it's easy to be distracted by something that's seen as very positive. I had to put my watch onto silent so that it stopped buzzing on my wrist every time I got a notification on my phone. Because I was like, I'm trying to worship and I keep buzzing. So I switched it off. And actually, sometimes we need to switch off the devices so that actually we're not distracted. Facebook, already been mentioned by Kathy at the back. And uh, what would happen if you didn't do Facebook for a bit? You might know a little bit less about what's happening in the people around you. (laughs) But you might be able to do something more with your time. Reading. Now, um, you'd never think that reading Christian books is a bad thing. But actually, people get so caught up with reading Christian books that actually they don't kind of look up to anything else. And um, they spend a whole time reading what you might think was a good thing. But actually, that can still be something that we're enslaved to. I need to read the next book. I've got a pile. I've got to finish the pile. Church, going to meetings, listening to sermons online. Some people can't deal without. And actually, it's one conference after another. And I need to go. I need to go and get another fix of that. And actually, that's not what it was designed for. We're designed as the people of God. It was his idea. Exercise, it's a good thing. But actually, people can be enslaved to it. If I don't, then what's going to happen to me? My diet, 
you know, I've got to eat certain things, I mustn't eat certain things. And actually, it can become all enslaving to us. In Matthew 5, it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the things we think of first, the things that we crave after, are the things that can enslave us. And uh, like the people in Israel, they, and the, the Israelite people, they're, they're in Egypt and they were enslaved. They didn't choose to go and get enslaved. They were just living their life. They were doing their normal everyday things, but it was the normal everyday thing that then they ended up being enslaved to, making bricks to build houses. It's not a bad thing, but they were slaves to it. So what would be a sign of slavery? Well, if I don't, then. And probably as I've talked this morning, even on some of those what might seem really trivial examples, people have gone, yes, but. Because actually there's a consequence. It's, not, it's just not possible. I couldn't, I couldn't do without it. Panic. If they were to take that away, what would I do? And actually, they're all signs that what might be good things, there might be healthy things, and I'm not saying you have to chuck your mobile in the bin or never drink coffee again or read a Christian book or come to church ever again because they're all inherently not bad things. But actually, you may be a slave to them. So, I just want to have a look at a couple of different texts um, from the other end of the Bible and uh, look a bit about what Jesus said. So, first bit's in John 8, starting at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you know, you stay in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we're the offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. Sorry? Sorry. So, so they were in Egypt and they were slaves and they wanted to get out. And, and it's like a really big part of their history. And we've got five books of the Bible and it all talks about that bit of their journey. They were slaves in Egypt and they needed to escape. And they say to Jesus, we have never been enslaved to anyone. How short their memory. How is it that you say you will become free? They say to Jesus. And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. Now, I think that's a fascinating phrase. Anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And, and, and I don't think about the bad stuff in my life as something that I practice. I actually think about it as something that kind of intrudes in, where it's obviously... Not from me, it's from outside. But actually, Jesus says, no, we, we practice our sin. We perfect it over time. And actually, there's stuff in our lives that we're enslaved to because actually we keep practicing it. We keep trying it again. We keep having another go. And actually, that we get enslaved to it. But he responds, Jesus responds. He says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Yes. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Isn't that great? Jesus says, I'll set you free. And when I set you free, you'll be properly free. 
Uh, people of Israel, we, we know the story, don't we? We know what's coming. We know they end up in the desert and wander around aimlessly for a whole generation. And, um, and actually, they, they didn't feel very free. And even at that point when, which is going to come in a couple of weeks' time, they're being chased across the desert by Pharaoh, I wonder how free they felt. But actually, Jesus says, I'll make you free from these things. I'll make you free from the sin. And he can say that because he knew at that point what he was going to do on the cross. He knew what was going to be achieved in his death. And he knew that his people would be free. And you might think, well, I'm not free because I still sin. So therefore, can't it work, can it? But it's not true. Jesus says, you are free. You are free to not sin anymore. And that's because we've been adopted. We've been adopted as his children. Um, PJ Smythe um, says this. um, God does not say, stop doing that. He says, but you're my son. You're my daughter. Why are you doing that? He doesn't say, stop. He says, I've adopted you. You're part of my family, and I love you. So, another bit from Jesus, from Matthew 6. Starting at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So he talks about having this divided loyalty, and he uses the example of money, that actually you can't be sold to money. I think money is the absolute everything and my sole goal, and do the things of God. And uh, you can be caught between the two that doesn't mean money's bad wesley said i heard this uh, this week wesley said earn more save more and give more and uh, this he preached on it lots of times because actually he he knew that actually if we earn more we could give more and uh, and actually that was a good thing because we could do good things with the money money's not bad inherently in itself but the love of money, it says, is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, it's interesting because Jesus says the sin is darkness within you. And actually the darkness is very dark. He says, if the light in you is darkness, how big is that darkness? How great is it? And actually, what we're told is we're, we're all sinners. We've all gone completely astray. We've all walked away from God, and and that's dark. And we're caught in that darkness. But actually, he also talks about him being the light and bringing the light into our souls and changing us, changing us forever. When we get Jesus' purity, then actually he says, you are pure. You are white. You are clean. And there isn't anything that comes between me 
and you anymore, which is fantastic. And I think we often get caught up in those things that do enslave us and we, we kind of think, I can't be free of that. I can't be away from that. I can't deal with that. It's too big. But Jesus says, you're free because actually I've made you free by what I've done. Romans 6. I love Romans 6. Fantastic chapter of the Bible. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because... Uh, There's quite a lot of it. So I'm going to start at verse 12. And it says, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death into life. And your members to God are instruments for righteousness. You know, use your body for good because actually I've bought it. And I love this verse. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Sin will not be your master anymore. You can be free from it mastering you and having dominion over you. Because you're not under a law that says, do this, don't do that. Do this, do this, do this, do this, don't do that. Actually, we're under grace. Where God says, I know you're going to slip. But actually, I know you're going to be in heaven. Because I have saved you. And I've brought you in to the kingdom of light. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. That's being right with God. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now... You have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification. That's making us more pure, making us right before God. And its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just brilliant verses, aren't they? They're so rich, we could could take each verse and I could speak for a long time on each one and I'm not going to because what we need to see is this big picture that actually yes we were slaves to sin but now we can be slaves to God and you might think well I don't want to be a slave to God but we need to think differently we're asked to think differently about the things of God and actually there's a freedom in that there's a freedom in righteousness there's a freedom that we've had gained for us by Jesus. So, the title of the series was Redemption in Action. Now, if you were a slave and uh, you'd been bought in the market, then actually you'd have uh, your your earlobe pierced with a braddle against the doorframe of the house. Nasty. And, um, And you'd have a ring in to say you belong to whoever you belong to. And actually, you were owned. So they could do with you what they like. 
And that was being a slave. But then there was a price that could be paid to buy you out of your slavery, the redemption price. And actually, we've been slaves to sin. We had our earlobes brattled through. But Jesus comes and he pays the price and says, you're not going to be a slave anymore to that. I want to set you completely free. Now, something different. I'm going to play Name That Tune. Who knows Name That Tune? Yeah, most people in the room, I'm sure. So, if you know the tune, I want you to stand up, and then we'll try and stop it. That's cheating, Pamela. I asked her the other day. It took her a few moments. So, um, Georgia, hit it. There we go. Go on. You know the song, but you don't know the name. Okay. It's not Avicii of the Night. It was the same year as that. It was 2014. I was left to my own You're not going to get it, are you? This was a what? This is a one-hit wonder. It is Pompeii by Bastille. There you go. I knew someone in the room would know. And it was a one-hit wonder, and uh, that's why it's not a band that you necessarily know. And uh, I was listening to this. It just happened to be on in the car the other day. And I don't think I'd ever listened to the words of this song. And uh, so I had a look up, and uh, this guy in this band, he'd been to Pompeii, and he'd seen um, all the things in Pompeii, all the kind of petrified people, and uh, he'd written this song. And he's not a Christian, um, but the, the lyrics really spoke to me. And uh, so he starts off, you heard that bit, I was left to my own devices, many days fell away with nothing to show. And the walls kept tumbling down in the city that we love. Grey clouds roll over the hills, bringing darkness from above. And uh, he saw that there was all these people in Pompeii kind of frozen, doing all the things that they did, which weren't necessarily good things. And... Uh, So it goes on, uh, but if you close your eyes, does it almost feel like nothing has changed at all? So here they are, I don't know how many thousand years ago, you've been to Pompeii, how many thousand years ago was it? No idea, no I haven't got a clue, it's all history to me. And uh, if you close your eyes, does it almost feel like that you've been here before? And actually he recognised that it didn't matter that there was these people all this time ago, actually The lives they were living were pretty similar to the lives that we live. We were caught up and lost in all of our vices. In your pose as the dust settled around. And he finishes up with a song asking a question. And and I thought it was quite pertinent to us this morning. Where do we begin? The rubble or our sins? Where do we begin? The rubble or our sins? And I want to ask that question this morning. And um, I want to suggest that actually we start with the sins. And so often in life, actually, we try and deal with the rubble. Because the rubble's all around and uh, it looks really messy. So we try and clear it up. And as we try and clear it up, the problem is that we're still in the sin. And the rubble keeps getting created. And so it's kind of a never-ending task 
And that's the great thing about what Christ did is he set us free from dealing with the rubble because he dealt with the rubble. And he said, come to me. We'll sort out the sin and I'll clear away your rubble. And that doesn't mean that it all looks perfect and rosy immediately. But actually that you're on a different path. So, it says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that would be my encouragement to you this morning, that actually, as you spend time with God, find out what it is that you're enslaved to. And it might be something that you hadn't even thought of that seems so very everyday, but actually is such an important part of who you are that actually you couldn't let go of it. And I wonder, would Jesus say to you, let go? I said um, something from PJ Smythe earlier on. Um, He leads one of the spheres down around Johannesburg uh, for New Frontiers. When his kids misbehave, um, he says, Daddy loves you when you're good. Daddy loves you when you're naughty. Daddy loves you all the time. And he said sometimes he has to say it through gritted teeth. Daddy loves you all the time because his kids really wind him up at times. But actually he knows that's who his father in heaven is. And he knows that's how he needs to be as a father seeing his father in heaven and being the same. And uh, I want to tell you this morning that it doesn't matter when you're naughty or when you're good. God loves you equally all the time. And what we tell ourselves all the time is actually I've been naughty, therefore God doesn't love me anymore and I'm going to go and sit in the garden and eat worms. And that's not very helpful. And God wants to say to you this morning, he loves you all the time. Even when you've got enslaved to stuff that you shouldn't be enslaved to. Don't let the good things get in way of the best things. Bad things obviously mislead. We know that. But good things can mislead us even more easily. So I want to just check, do we have any slaves in the room? Yeah, maybe a few more. And I just want to encourage you to look at those things and see what God will do with them. We need God's insight. We need his wisdom as to how to respond to those things. We need him to lead us in the way of righteousness. Because actually, God does the leading in this stuff. He doesn't say, go deal with all that stuff and then come to me. He says, come to me, let's deal with all that stuff together. And he wants you to deal with the stuff in your life. Just as he wanted to deal with the Israelite people in Egypt. He wanted to deal with the Egyptian people. He wanted to change them. He wanted to change their minds, their thinking. He wanted to change their hearts. And actually, he wants to do the same for us. And you know... Knowing that you are adopted as a child of God, that makes all the difference, doesn't it?
makes all the difference. So, Josie. We're going to, um, we're going to come back to worship, and um, I need to give Josie a thingy back. Um, and uh, as we do that, I just believe God will speak to us, and, um, and there may be things that, that we need to kind of look at. Um, but I believe God does want to, to look at those things. He um, reminded me of this passage whilst we were worshipping earlier on. And this is Paul's prayer to the Colossians. He, he's got a similar prayer um, at the beginning of Philippians as well. Um, and um, he says at the beginning of Colossians, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. That's that word again, dominion. And brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have it. You have already had that obtained for you by Christ on the cross. He's done it. It's finished. He said so on the cross. He said, it is finished. So let's worship because actually that's something to celebrate.